Hey friends, this is Pastor Ron, Pleasant Grove Church. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today. And here is some good news from the Grove. I want to talk to you this morning about when a believer dies. When a believer dies. It's going to be a message of hope and comfort for you, for all of us who have lost loved ones, um, and as we face our own mortality as well. What happens to a believer in Jesus Christ when they die? And you need to know that your Bible is an absolute treasure chest of revelation about this subject. And it gives us the foundations of our hope and the foundations of our faith to let us know that we are not a people without hope. That we have a lot of hope in this life, and Paul said, and in the life to come. What happens when a believer dies? So there's a lot of questions we got. So we're going to piece together a few scriptures this morning and we're going to see a picture that God puts together for us to see what happens when a believer dies. Now here's a perspective from God's angle. Psalm 116 verse 15, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Read that with me. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now that's a different perspective, isn't it? Because God knows something about the extended life of a believer because God knows that there is life after life after death. God knows that. So he sees our passing as, as not a passing at all. It's a homecoming. For the believer, death is seen as a doorway. Now, if you're on, there's another sermon for those who are not believers. We're not even going to address that this morning. But if you're a believer... Death is a doorway into something more glorious than you and I can ever imagine. You believe that? It's a doorway. The believer's hope is in this life, and yes, it extends way beyond the grave on into eternity. Now, let's talk about this idea of death. The Bible actually gives a lot of revelation about what death is, where it comes from, when it started, and, and why it happens to us. Uh, first, it, it, it's, it's like this grim idea, death. It actually came out of the mouth of God first. Remember in the garden is where we get the revelation. Uh, we've all been touched by death at this point. We've all lost loved ones to death. We, uh, our, our, the biggest fear that almost all of us have is the fear of death. Fear to, to leave the ones that we love or to lose the ones that we love. And death is sometimes personified. It's like, you remember when, when the 10th the plague come in Egypt and it, the angel of death came through the land. Death is oftentimes personified as like this figure. You, you, you know the mythological character called the Grim Reaper? Death is really looked at in the Bible kind of like that in one sense. All right. So, so this, this idea of death, and death is called our enemy. Death is never called a blessing. Now what God does in light of it all is a huge blessing, but death itself is always seen as an enemy, and we are fighting it tooth and toenail. <laughs> really, we're fighting against it. We are introduced to this idea back in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, it says this, The Lord commanded the man, He commanded Adam, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely what? That. So God gave us this warning. Death is not a part of the original creation. Death was something that God knew was waiting in the wings if we were to choose to disobey or to rebel against him. That's the warning, right? So God gives this clear warning. Do this and live. Do this and you will die. And death is presented right here by God as a consequence 
of us not following God's clear-cut instruction, right? So death is a consequence. And the New Testament speaks of this harsh reality as well. You, you all know this passage, especially if you've gone through that, like that evangelism training that we call the Romans Road. Remember that? Like 323 and 623 and 58 and then 1013. Remember all that kind of thing, the Romans Road? In 623, it says this, the very first part of it. For the wages of sin is death. That's that consequence. Paul just brings it to bear. Just what God had said in Genesis, Paul brings this to bear in a New Testament perspective. That wages are, are paycheck. So the paycheck for us committing sin or rebellion against God is what we earned. We earned death. That's the wages. And sin speaks of the failures. It speaks of the disobedience. It speaks of the violation of God's word and God's will and God's plan and God's purpose, God's law and God's clear instruction. So us disobeying God's clear-cut instruction always brings death. The Bible lets us know. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we see where Adam and Eve disregarded that command from Genesis chapter 2. Adam and Eve disregards God's instruction and the consequences are absolutely devastating. Without even knowing it, it released Adam and Eve didn't realize it. I mean, they, didn't, they had no way of perceiving that it would be this chaotic. They released this force. And the Bible literally kind of portrays it like that. This force called sin. And the Bible talks about sin having a power. And it's a power that can grip your life. It's a power that can take you down. It's a power that can hold you in, in what we call a stronghold. It can, it can put you in its grips. And it can take you down all the way to the point of death. And through their disobedience, this force called sin and death took a firm grip on humanity and actually all of creation. And from this point on in Genesis chapter 3, all of mankind will now come underneath the power of sin. And all men, all women will taste death. All mankind will succumb to the fatal sting of sin and death. And then we get to Genesis chapter 5. You know what Genesis chapter 5 is? So you got Genesis 1, you got the creation story. You got Genesis 2, you got the Eden story. You got Genesis 3, you got the fall. You got Genesis 4, you got Cain and Abel. And then you get to your favorite part of the Bible in Genesis 5. You know what that is? It's a genealogy. It's the part you skip over, right? But there's really some good information in almost all those listings that's given. What Genesis 5 lets us know It lets us know about this idea of death, that death has taken root in the human condition. What it does in Genesis chapter 5, it starts with Adam, and it said Adam lived this number of days, he had sons and daughters, and he died. And it says this so-and-so lived, had sons and daughters, lived this many years, and he died. So-and-so lived, had this many kids, sons and daughters, and he died. And he died. And he died eight times, eight times. It's like this, this dark mantra that this gets, gets spoken over all humanity that what Genesis is telling us by the revelation of the Holy Spirit that death has now taken hold of the human, human condition. And they may live to be 930 years old during that time, but guess what always catches up? Death. And I know this is not the part you shout at, but you've got to kind of set this up to kind of see the condition. And kind of see what Jesus has done for us. Because all humanity has sinned against God, all have tasted of death. 
And he died. Death. Three, three types of death. We're familiar with this one for sure. Physical death. Physical death is, is when the spirit soul of a person. I, I, the spirit and soul can't, can't really be separated. That's kind of like who you really are. The essence of who you are. You are a spirit. And you live in a body. You have a soul. But spirit and soul are kind of intertwined together. Physical death happens when that spirit or that soul leaves the body. And if you've ever been in a room when somebody dies, you know that is very obvious when it happens. Anybody ever been in that kind of situation? I mean, it's not just obvious. It's, it's, it's like creepy. It's, it's no fun. I've, I've been in that kind of situation dozens and dozens of times. And, and you never get over it. Because it, it, there really is a separation. That's physical death. We, we know about physical death. The Bible talks about another kind of death. It talks about spiritual death. So physical death is when your soul separates from your body. Spiritual death is when you as a person are separated from God. Why is that considered death to be separated from God? Well, because God is life and he is the giver of life. And if you have God, you have life. But if you're cut off from God, you have just the opposite of life, and that's death. That's why God said that in that day you're going to die because you're going to be cut off from life, and your life will no longer have life. It will now have an expiration. So spiritual death is this separation. Because didn't you notice that Adam and Eve, when they ate of the tree... This is where the enemy kind of hooked them in and the deception of it all. When they ate of the tree, they didn't necessarily drop dead, did they? No, Adam lived another 900-something years. They didn't die. So what was the dying that God was spoken of? Well, what did they lose in that moment? Well, immediate consequences were that they were exiled from paradise. They were exiled from Eden. And by being exiled from God, or Eden, they were now separated from God. And they tasted of what the Bible calls spiritual death. They would later experience physical death, but initially they experienced that spiritual death. The Bible talks about another kind of death. The third type is eternal death. Eternal death, it all kind of gets a little bit more serious. Physical death is, is, is rough. Spiritual death is worse. Eternal death is the most horrific thing you can imagine. Because eternal death is permanent separation from God. It's to be permanently separated, cut off, from God. It's an eternal fate. It's an irreversible reality. To be eternally dead. It will be pronounced over millions of souls at the final judgment. And, and it's described with words like this. Lake of fire, outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth, and torment. And nobody wants to experience that part. So we've got physical death. We've got spiritual death. We've got eternal death. So when you hear the idea of death, don't think like an ending. Think separation. Physical death, separation of soul from body. Spiritual death, separation between a person and God. Eternal death, permanent separation between a person and God. And why is that so? Don't think. See, your life will never end. You realize that? Your life will never end. Because you were created in the image and likeness of God, you will live forever. Forever. In fact, what we're experiencing today, what we call life today, 
is actually the shortest part of our existence that we'll ever have. You realize that? As many years as it may be. It may be 50, it might be 60, it might be 120. I don't know. But this is the shortest part of our life because I got a forever to live out. How about that? And I'm excited about that part. You are an eternal being with an eternal destiny and your life will never end. You will either enjoy God's good pleasure and His good forever or you will reap the consequences of rebelling against God. And the choice, just like the choice in the garden was theirs, the choice today is ours. Now, but, but your life has no ending. Get that. So death is not a cessation now. It's not an ending. Got that? Say yes, sir. Yes, pastor. We're good? <laughs> All right. So kind of get, get that in mind. So here comes Jesus. Guess what he's going to take care of? He, through his resurrection, he's going to take care of physical death. Through the forgiveness of sins, through his cross, he's going to take care of spiritual death. And through the covenant of his grace, he's going to take care of eternal death. Here comes Jesus. He, he's going to deal with death. And while we were still in this state of spiritual death, Jesus comes and fights this epic battle on our behalf. Jesus comes and fights the battle that we keep losing. And he died. And he died. And he died. We keep losing that battle. And they're also in our life. And they sinned. And they sinned. What Jesus does, he comes and fights this battle. He fought against sin. He fought against the tempter face to face. And he overcame sin by living a sinless life. And this war between good and evil, this war between life and death, Jesus took it head on. And this battle finds its turning point at the cross. It was at the cross where Jesus surrendered his life to the Father. And death struck its final blow. But wait a minute. If, if death is the consequences of sin and Jesus never sinned, then truthfully, on his part, he should never die. If the, if the logic of Scripture, wouldn't you agree with that statement? He, he should never die. So what is Jesus doing? Well, Jesus is doing something heroic on our behalf. What he is doing is, he, he is not dying for his own sins. He comes to the foot of that cross and is nailed to that old rugged cross, not for the sins he committed, but for the sins we committed. And what Jesus does, he takes his battle to sin and death, not for his own sake, but he chooses to die in our place. And Jesus is fighting on our behalf, fighting our two toughest enemies at the cross. And it's a bloody battle. And the serpent strikes him just as it said it would in Genesis chapter 3. And his life is taken in this battle against sin and death. Listen to what it says. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Read it with me. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, Jesus now, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. In other words, Jesus became human to be able to win the battle that we never could win. You see what he just said? 
And he, he, he took on the cross. He went to the cross. He, he was on a mission. They didn't kidnap him. They didn't arrest him. They didn't just, he submitted himself to it. He had told his apostles time and time again throughout the gospels, I have to go to Jerusalem and there I will be killed by the scribes and the Pharisees and the leaders. I will be killed by them. And on the third day, I will rise again. He's, he says that at least three different times I know of in the gospels. And he faced the cross and he took on the cross. Why? Jesus knew the revelation of the cross is where the point of transition would take place for all of humanity that wanted to be a part of it. That would be the place on that hill right there outside of Jerusalem. Jesus would face down sin and death. And on that cross, he would destroy the power of the one who had the power of death. And how did he do that? He submitted his sinless life to God and on the third day, God raised him up from the dead. And by raising him up from the dead, he justified his life and he broke the power of death. Are you tracking with me now? All right. And the benefit that's supposed to be for us, the benefit is, is that if we follow Jesus... That literally the fear of death can be broken over our lives. You hear what I'm talking about? Now, not only just the power of death. He said he, said he would break the power of death. But he would also break the fear of death. Because you know, that's, that's, that's kind of the, the, the sword that, that Caesar wields and all the, the Caesars and all the governments and all the... You know, what they, they wield the sword of death and they threaten us. But what you see in the book of Acts is like there's a people that won't be threatened. There's a people that can't be held down. Why? Because they have no fear of death because they serve the one who was resurrected from the dead who promises that if they die, they'll be resurrected as well. So they have no fear. Now, fast forward to us. I'm concerned about us. Because you know that little stint we had in in 2020 with that little COVID-19 thing? You know what it showed about the church? That we're full of the fear of death. Didn't it show that? We're absolutely terrified to die. And as a pastor, I'm thinking, wait, 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 something's wrong. Something's wrong with our foundations now. Now, I'm not saying we should want to die. Like the old boy said, he said, I'm ready and willing, I'm just not volunteering. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But what happened was, the reason there was power that was exercised over us was because of fear of death. And what Jesus wants to come into our lives and do, He wants to come into our lives and not just break the literal power of death, but literally while we live, break the very fear of death that needs to happen in us. Because guess what card the enemy will always pull if you're afraid to die? Guess what he'll always pull? Well, I want you to go over to so-and-so and I want you to move to this country and I want you... But what if I die? We're going to get to Paul in a minute. So Jesus, please, break the power of death. He already has, but break it over us. Break the fear of death. And that is possible for all who put their faith and trust in Jesus. The forgiveness of sin sets us free from sin. And the impartation of his life sets us free from death. All right, you tracking with me? 
So, when a believer dies, at physical death, where does our spirit or soul go? Where does it go? Again, if you've ever, if you've ever been in the presence of somebody who passed in those moments, they went somewhere. Where did they go? If, if they're a follower of Jesus, where did they go? Where did they go? All right. Look, look at what Paul says right here in Philippians 1, 21. Paul was a man who'd been set free. He was absolutely 100% free. I mean, they killed him one time. The, they, the church gathered around him, prayed over him, resurrected him from the dead, and he, he went back into town and said, I didn't finish my sermon yet. I'm going to finish it right now. I'm back. <laughs> you got to like Paul now. He's something else. And he had this revelation. He said this, For to me, to live is Christ. And if you let me keep breathing, I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep living for Christ. Everything I've got is going to be about Christ and what He's done for me and what He can do for you. For me to live is Christ. But here's this perspective about death. And to die is gain. Now what does it mean when you gain? What does that mean? That's better, right? That's better. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard pressed between the two. Should I stay or should I go now? You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better than being with y'all. No offense. <laughs> you feel the same, right? I hope. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So I'm going to hang out with y'all just a little while longer. Now look, look, look at that little phrase right there. You've you got to read the Bible carefully. Look at that. Look at the little phrase. Having a desire to depart. And if I leave here, he's talking about through physical death. If I leave here, where am I going to be? With Christ. Okay, so let's drop an anchor. If I, if I die... I, my body may be here, but I'm, I'm with him. All right? Drop an anchor right there. Boom. Remember that. All right? 2 Corinthians 5. Same guy. Paul. For we know, 5-1, for we know that if our earthly house, this tent, so God gave some people a tent, he gave me a tabernacle. You know what I'm saying? I, 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 <laughs> living large, you know. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, this body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In other words, I'm going to upgrade. Verse number four. For we who are in this tent groan. Did you do that when you got up about 8 o'clock this morning, 7.30 this morning? Did you groan a little bit? Got up? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I used to, I used to do things like run into people and run into walls and catch baseballs and try to run and dive and slide and I got hurt that way. You know how I get hurt nowadays? Getting up. I get hurt sleeping. It's crazy, ain't it, Brandon? <laughs> I used to have good stories. You know, I, I never had any real back trouble, but one time I, my back locked up on me. You know what I was doing? I was in the church foyer and I bent over to pick up a peppermint. That ain't even a good story. That ain't even a manly story. You shouldn't even tell that kind of stuff. You know? It's like, oh. You know, it'd be fine if I was picking up a back end of a Volkswagen. It's like, and boom, my back went out. That'd be good. I'll tell you that one. 
<laughs> well, all this groaning and stuff that's happening in this body, this tent, all this groaning is happening. And it's being burdened. This aging process and all the things we got to go through, it, it, it really is a chore. And he said, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed. And I love this phrase, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Say that with me. Mortality may be swallowed up by life. You know, because I'm in Christ, what's going to happen to me is that death is not going to take me. What's going to happen is life, the life of Christ is going to overwhelm my body so much that it can't handle it down here. It's got to go live in another atmosphere. And my life, my mortality, all this decaying flesh and all this, this aging process and these aching joints and all this kind of stuff, all these, this mind that's not quite working the way it should be all the time and all this decay and aging process I've got, all that's going to be swallowed up by the life of Christ that's in me. He's going to take over everything about me, all of my faculties, and there'll be no more decay. There'll be no more sting of death. There'll be no more fear of death. There'll be no more reality of death. That life will swallow me up. And I'll forever live in that life. And how I know that life will swallow me up is I got that life on me already. I got it on me. I got it in me. I got it following me. And it's there. And beloved, I'm not waiting to take place, to take eternal life when I get there. When I was born again, Jesus gave me eternal life then. I'm, I'm, I'm living in the reality of eternal life now. It's just that one day, eternal life's going to swallow me up. And you know what? You ain't never seen nothing like that. And the newer version of you, you're going to like it. Look at verse number five. Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. He's already put a down payment on this, this old house. He didn't bought the old house. And he put a down payment on your new house. And to let you know what's going to happen, he said, I'm going to give you my spirit. I'm going to put my spirit as like an earnest, like a deposit on the inside of you, like an escrow. I'm going to put my spirit so you know that the first part of this process takes place so that you can live in the reality that the rest of it's going to happen too. It's a guarantee. Guarantee something you can, you can stamp it and take it to the bank, as we say. Oh, we don't go to the bank no more though. We got all my all my sayings got to change. Oh, that's what's bad about getting old. Nobody understands you no more, <laughs> and you don't understand them. All these young folks. Never mind. It's all right. Verse six. He's, he's telling us something now. For we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body here, we are absent from the Lord. That there's still some kind of distance between us. Because here, we walk by faith. But there, I'm going to walk by sight. So here, we walk by faith and not by sight. There, I'm going to walk by sight and faith's going to pass away. I'm not going to need faith anymore. It's going to be a reality right there. You see what I'm talking about? Verse number 8, he tells us. The question on the, on, on the board right now is what happens... To the soul at physical death. That's the question. He answers it point blank. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. 
Get this phrase down in your spirit. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Say that with me. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. You got that? You got to know that. So, Glenn, where's, where's Jackie at right now? Absent from the body is present with Jesus. You, you get that? Where's my grandma and grandpa at right now? Absent from the body is present with Jesus. Where's your loved ones that, that you, you, you miss so dearly? Where, where are they at if they died in Christ? Where are they at? Absent from the body, grandma is dancing around with Jesus. Get that in your spirit. That you got to have that as an anchor point. Because when I have to look out my back window every day and see that cemetery. I ain't got no problem with it. Them guys that fixed my fence, they had a problem with it. I told you about that, didn't they? Them old boys, had like four boys out there said, Preacher, I don't know how you do it. There's a graveyard out here. I ain't, I ain't, I ain't living by no graveyard is what they told me. I said, son, let me tell you something. The dead folks ain't never bothered me. It's the living folks that give me trouble. Anyway, that's another deal. And I get to look out there all the time. I, I, I look out and see, see names. And I have to remember, absent from the body, present with the Lord. All right, now, okay, let's keep that in mind. So what happens to the body? The spirit is with the Lord. What happens to the body? Well, the body is laid to rest, is what we call it, right? And in America, in, in a traditional burial, we faced it towards the east. Because that's where Jesus is going to return. When, when he comes, Jesus comes. When he comes, he's going to split that eastern sky. Heaven's going to roll back like a scroll and he's going to present himself. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That's when we face them to the east. It's an act of faith every time you go to the graveyard. Do you realize that? We're acting out our faith. And the Bible speaks about the redemption of the body. The redemption of the body. Now think about this. When Jesus purchased you, He did not just purchase your soul. Let me tell you something else. He didn't just purchase the best parts of you. That's what we think sometimes. Well, I just give Jesus my best. He don't want your best. He wants all of you. He wants your best, your worst, your good days, your bad days, your bad breath, everything. He wants the whole deal. And when he purchased you, he purchased your souls. We call it saving souls. We call that kind of thing. But what Jesus has intent on doing is not just saving your soul. He intends on saving every part of you. All the messed up parts of you and all the body that's giving you all kinds of fits and decaying that we talked about, the tent groaning and all that kind of stuff. He purchased all that too. And he said, when I hook up wagons with David, I wanted all of David. I wanted everything he's got. I want everything Casey's got. I want him. I'm going to buy his, buy his body too. The scripture talks about redeeming our bodies. Look at this, 1 Thessalonians 4. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Okay, so he's trying to wipe out our ignorance. Because as long as there's ignorance, there can't be faith. As long as there's ignorance, there can't be hope. Verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who sleep or died in Jesus. Oh, okay. Get a picture. Jesus is coming back in the class. Who's he bringing with him? My mamma and papa. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses, Elijah. 
your loved ones, all the ones that have gone in the past, have been redeemed. You see, he's bringing them back with him. Why is he bringing them back with him? Well, because they've been hanging out with him for a long time. Remember, absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And when the Lord returns, he is bringing those spirits, those, the, the souls of men, as we could say. The souls of men made perfect, the scripture says. He is bringing them back with him when he returns. You got that picture? All right. More revelation right here. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep, who are dying. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. What is that? Well, they're with him in spirit. But when Jesus purchased you, he didn't just purchase your soul. He purchased your body too. And what he's going to do on that resurrection morning when the angel blows that trumpet and the dead in Christ, what is that? The dead in Christ, their bodies. Their bodies are going to be resurrected. It's going to be a show. I'm going to tell you, you don't want to miss this deal. Steven Spielberg can't do this. It's going to be a, a great reunion morning and their bodies are going to be resurrected because Jesus purchased every piece of you, every hair. In fact, he said he has them numbered. He knows about you. And He wants every part of you. And your body will be resurrected on that day. And your body and soul will now meet together with Jesus. And you'll go through that glorification process. And you ain't never seen who you can be until that moment. You understand what I'm talking about? And I'm preaching a lot better than you amen. And I'm telling you. Y'all about to work me to death. (laughs) You see what I'm talking about? And then, we who are alive and remain, should that happen when, if we're alive when he returns, we'll be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. And he says this, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So what happens to the believer at the point of physical death? Soul separated from the body. What's our phrase? Absent. Tell me. Say it again. Absent from the body. Present with the Lord. So what about our bodies? What's what's Jesus going to do with our bodies? He's going to redeem our bodies. When Christ returns, He will resurrect even the dead in Christ. And our bodies and spirits will join together again and be glorified. In a state called glorification. Be super you. Literally. Really. And we shall always be with the Lord. Let's wrap it up with this. Jesus says something real curious in John chapter 8. He says, most assuredly. That's like saying, man, I tell you, that's a fact with my hand up. You know what I'm talking about? He said, I'm I'm making a promise to you right now. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he or she shall never see Death. Okay, what was those three types of death? Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. Okay. What's he talking about? Well, we know he's not talking about you living physically forever. What's he mean? You remember when Jesus was dying on the cross and he, he gasped his last breath and he says this. Because I, I, I want to tell you, death didn't take Jesus. 
It says, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. I, I want to submit this to you. For the believer, death does not escort them away. But our Father's heavenly host escorts them home. Can you hear that? For a believer, they don't see the dark, black, death, grim reaper. They don't even see death. Guess who comes for them? God comes for them. Not death. In fact, we even have a hard time saying it. Like, I mean, I have a hard time saying it over a believer. Like, she died. I have a hard time saying that. Because they didn't. Not really. You know what I'm talking about? We say things like, she passed away. No, she didn't. She went home. And where's home? Where's home for me? That's wherever Jesus is. That's where I'm going to be. That's home for me. All right. Now, now let me tell you a story. And I promise you, I'm closing this, this time for real. Story of my mamaw Paramore. You know, in every family, you've got like these, these people that God uses to like redeem like a bunch of the family. You know what I'm talking about? For our family, it was my mamaw Paramore. She gave my dad like his first preaching Bible. She was like a saint. She went to a little Pentecostal church and there was one of them Pentecostal churches where they, you know, no women had hairdos when they left. And, uh, you know, they were dancing around. It was one of them, it, it was cut loose kind of thing. And she loved Jesus. I mean, this woman loved Jesus. I, I, she was, I was really young when she died. But I do remember her love for Jesus. And her, somebody's alarm going off. A white Ford Explorer. Your car is calling you. <laughs> my my on Paramore, she was just a saint. I, I, I remember her smile. Uh, she was poor as could be. Didn't hardly have anything. Grew up dirt floors. They tell stories about the floors of the house. You know, had gaps in them. You could see the chickens crawling underneath the house. Anybody know about that kind of stuff? Yeah. <laughs> Didn't have a tooth in her head. I, I remember her old toothless smile couldn't afford all the stuff that it would take to get it fixed you know that kind of thing daddy and her would just sit there at times she she i remember her illness i remember her smile and i remember her kindness that's what i remember daddy and her would sit there by the bed he gave her she gave daddy a, a bible it was a white covered bible daddy still got it today and she she basically discipled my dad god called him to preach well she took ill and she was at the point of death in the hospital room. And this is one of those precious memory stories of our family. These, these great stories of faith that families need to pass on to their children. This one was passed on to me and I got to share this memory. And we're going to keep this alive because this is an awesome, awesome story that happened in our family. Mamma Perma was in the hospital bed. Cancer was eating her up. My dad was there sitting with her. And she, she kind of raised up her little bitty head. I mean, she was tiny. She probably was about four foot ten, probably weighed about 75 pounds at this point. And she raised up her head and she said, Jesse, it's my daddy. She said, Jesse, do you see him? He said, no, my mom. She said, they're here. She said, what? He said, the angels. There's an angel right there and there's one right there. 
They're here. And son, I'm, I'm not going to be able to stay here much longer. She said, they're here. And daddy just looked at her and said, Memo, wherever they want to take you, just go with them. The next day, my memo died. Memo Paramore died the next day. And I want to tell you, you remember those, see those words that I just said? I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, they shall never see death. I, I, I believe this. My memo Paramore never saw death. She saw the heavenly host come get her and escort her straight to Jesus. That's what she saw. Jackie saw that Friday. Your loved one saw it too. Never saw death. When a believer dies, they never die. Oh, boy, say we just change addresses, don't we? What's our phrase? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. I pray you'd help us to comfort one another. Strengthen our faith, strengthen our hope, Lord. And help us to comfort. You said to use these words to comfort one another. Because we're all going to go through these kind of experiences one way or another. Even our own. So Jesus, I want to thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Because that, in that, we find our hope. 